0: They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag up there in a moment, because the Eagle has landed, at
1: the premiers.
0: There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello and welcome to season three of The Sports Desk. I'm April Austin. I've got Kendra Jewell and Tom Lusk joining me. How are you guys today?
1: Yeah, really good. How are you? Good. Tom, are you
0: excited for the season?
2: Uh, very excited, very keen. I'm uh, really excited to jump on board. Um, it'll make it a better season if Carlton wins some games, but uh, that, that'll, uh, not, not too keen on that, but we'll see.
0: Yeah we'll we'll wait and see about that one. Um, so we're going to be your Monday team for this season but we are kicking off on Wednesday this week which is going to be a little bit different and a little bit confusing probably for all of you listening. Um, we're pre-recording this show from our home so hopefully what we talk about isn't suddenly irrelevant by the time you're actually listening to this this show but we'll do our best to keep it interesting. Um, We've got lots to talk about, so we're going to cover all the AFL news, um, all the big discussion points from the last week of footy, a bit of tennis, a bit of A-League, even some cycling and racing, Um, so there's a packed show ahead. Um, But I think we'll get straight into the AFL to start, and we'll go through the results from the last round, which was... Round five, and of course, a odd time of year to be having round five of the AFL.
2: It's very weird, especially um, Carlton and I'm sorry, Collingwood and Essendon as well. They they both wore their ANZAC jerseys for this week, so very delayed there and very odd. But you know, it's just good to have it all back.
1: Yeah, it was a really good round. I thought it was quite like I felt like the scores were a bit quite like a drubbing from through a few matches. Do you guys think the same? They were quite extended.
2: Yeah, it was a bit it was a bit nice. All the teams are sort of getting used to the shorter quarters and uh, scoring a little bit more than what they have previously.
1: Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, so we'll go through those scores. So we had St Kilda beating Carlton 73 to 55 on Thursday night. Then the Friday night match was, of course, the collingwood essendon anzac Day matchup, um, which the Bombers, my team, got up 63 to 48. So I was loving that game. Um, on Saturday, we had West Coast beat Sydney, 77 to 43. Geelong beating Gold Coast, 89 to 52. Brisbane got up over Port Adelaide, 85 to 48. The Bulldogs got over North Melbourne, 87 to 38. So big win for the Bulldogs there. And um, then on Sunday, we had Fremantle win, 54 to 34 over Adelaide. And Richmond, got up over Melbourne, seventy-nine to fifty-two, and GWS, um, eighty-three to forty-nine, win over Hawthorne.
2: Yeah, it's a packed week, and I just want to point out—I don't know if um many people know this—but the Adelaide Fremantle game was actually shown uh, prime time in the states, which is kind of an odd matchup to show, you know, the bottom two sides over in America. So I'm not sure that was the best best game of footy for the Americans to watch, but you know, nonetheless, it's pretty cool seeing our game being played overseas over there.
0: I've definitely noticed, um, like, on seeing things on Twitter and stuff, uh, a lot more Americans getting into AFL while all their sports were cancelled and it was sort of one of the only things that they could actually watch.
2: Um, Yeah, so on the weekend, um, unfortunately, um, the Gold Coast uh, soon-to-be superstar Matt Royale dislocated his shoulder in a very uh, Gary Ablett-esque way. So that's really – it's not disappointing. It's just unfortunate for the Gold Coast – and I guess we're lucky that we're in sort of a, um, a shortened season and a you know, season doesn't really mean that much. So at least he has time to recover. Um, but yeah, it's probably the biggest talking point this week is um, unfortunately Matt Rao.
0: Yeah, well, because um tipped as getting up as a Brownlow favourite, which I think would be pretty unheard of for a first year player.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because also it was said that Gary Ablett went up to Matt Rao after the match to actually offer him kind of like mentoring and support with his injury. So I think that was really cool to see like an older player from the opposite team actually going up to him and helping him.
2: Yeah, I know a lot of people don't uh, usually like Gary Ablett in his older age at the moment, but it's, you know, it just shows his character and it's, you know, it's just really good for the game and really nice for someone like him to go up and give some advice to Matt Rao.
0: Do you think in that Geelong Gold Coast game, do you think if Rao hadn't gotten injured it would have been a closer game.
2: Maybe, because there was a shocking start for the Suns, but they came back and ended up getting in front in the second quarter. So um, even without Rail, they did come back and get the lead, but I think DeLong were just too good in the end and just showed their class. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft
0: memories of youthful days. Well let's move on to looking into the future of the AFL season and of course we've had all the Victorian teams move interstate to interstate hubs and there's going to be no more footy in Victoria for at least the next few weeks. Um, So how do we think these hubs are going to affect all the teams and perhaps the Victorian ones especially?
2: Well it's definitely going to be a change for the Vic clubs. Um, You know they're not so used to travelling as much as say like the West Coast or Fremantle or somebody. So it'd be it's a good challenge for all these teams and I think it's gonna be good for everybody to get a bit of you know, especially get out of Victoria and get out of the, the hub of what's happening at the moment. So I think it's a nice fresher breath air and some clubs can restart and try and kick start their season again.
1: Yeah, I think it is a good thing. But I do see how it would be hard for some players, especially the players who decided to stay back in Melbourne, as they do have families and it, that can be very difficult. And there is a bit of criticism over players who decide to prioritise family over football. But I think overall it's a good thing to, in order for the season to continue because we don't want it to end when it restarted.
2: Yeah, we've already seen players like Bashakuli pull out for the next uh, five weeks, I think it was, while Richmond are in their Queensland hub so again like you do understand where they're coming from and you know it is obviously hard to leave your families if you do have you know children along coming along the way and um it just sucks that that has to be an option.
0: One of the things that I thought as well is obviously um where a lot of the hubs are is like Queensland and places which have really nice weather and a lot warmer than Melbourne at the moment um and whether that's going to affect some of the teams because potentially they won't have as many cold or wet weather games and that might affect some teams for the better, some teams for the worse, possibly.
2: Yeah, I think Carlton and St Kilda are going to be in Noosa, so that's like a very nice area to be situated. So I don't know how they're going to keep those players from going out to, um, to do some recreational activities. I know go water skiing or something. It's just going to be, yeah, it's just a great area to be in a hub.
1: Yeah, you just hope that if they are deciding to do those recreational, they're not injuring themselves in these hubs. So they're sticking to their like routines that they would in Victoria.
2: Yeah, and I guess you've seen from um, what's happened to still side bottom, and that you know players do go out. And I think the AFL came out and said they were going to be really strict. If a player does break the protocols, they're going to be really strict um, consequences for it. So hopefully the players are are safe and don't go anywhere.
0: Well, I know they're still they're allowed to go out to cafes and get coffee and do the odd little thing that um, to give them I guess a sense of normality while they're away. So at least those little things should help a little bit. Um, with like mental health and just sort of dealing with being away from home for so long.
2: Yeah. And I guess that's what the, you know, some of these other teams have been doing at the moment as well. Like you look at West Coast, they haven't been in WA for, you know, the first four weeks of the restart of the season. So now there are swings and roundabouts. So hopefully all the players understand that and they can get back on track.
0: On FM, on DAB plus and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is sin. We young people run the show.
1: Now, we'll move on to Adelaide's training camp. An explosive article was released on the weekend detailing the things that the training camp involved. Guys, what are your thoughts on it?
2: Um, It's something that I guess a lot of people thought they knew about. Um, This article from Sam McClure, I think it was, he um, sort of sheds more light on some of the players' reactions to it and all of the ins and outs um, that we haven't seen before. So, um, it's probably, a you know, Adelaide fans probably don't like talking about it. But it's something that sort of needs to be discussed and to try and help the players through what's what they've experienced.
0: It's definitely been something that's been floating in the background for a long time. It's sort of like I'm obviously not an Adelaide supporter, but I've just sort of heard it mentioned here and there all oh, the like that Adelaide camp. Um, but you've never really known any of the details of what happened and why exactly it seemed to have affected the club culture the players relationships with um, their teammates and staff and things like that so much so I think this article that came out sort of shed a bit more light on why exactly this camp impacted them so much.
1: Yeah see I just wonder is it because is it coming out now because in 2020 Adelaide has been winless throughout the season and they're releasing this now I just want to know why it hasn't been released like back in like 2019 or in 2018 when it did go ahead if it did have like such a huge impact
2: well yeah that's I guess you got to ask the age on that when they released the article so you know it just depends on if they're waiting on another couple of interviews or if they had everything and just didn't want to do it um you know maybe because the start of the season got pushed back they were going to release it before and now but it's just yeah not the best timing for the Adelaide Football Club
0: and I guess well now they've had so they've had at least eight of their players from that team that went to the camp leave. Um, they've had num- a number of coaches and staff leave as well. Um, so perhaps slowly as more and more people have been leaving the club, that's, and, and as their results haven't improved, that's led to more players wanting to speak out about what actually happened and let people know what the issues are. And so hopefully they can make some way towards healing the wounds from it.
2: Yeah, um, and just one thing that really got me on the, um, that came out from all of this, um, you know, everything going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's happening there, um, apparently um, the first night at camp, the, um, the players were given a talking stick, but it was like an ancient um, Indigenous artefact that was used, and apparently a lot of the um, Indigenous players for um, the Adelaide team really didn't like that and brought that up to the to uh, Collective Mind who were running it and apparently they were told that um, all the Indigenous players don't have to take part and can go home so they they really didn't enjoy that part of camp and I, I feel like that was very I don't know just the wrong way to go about things for Collective Mind and the Adelaide Football Club there.
1: Yeah definitely some of the stuff that they were doing I think also they were players were tied to trees and players were all, the players watching had to hurl abuse at them I think that creates a very sort of toxic culture amongst the team. I think everyone especially needs to be building each other up. I know players respond differently to different things. Like some players will respond well to maybe a bit of negative criticism, but I definitely think they took that way too far. And also there was mention of like child trauma being brought up. So I definitely think that that was taken way too far at the camp.
2: There was mention of um, like the abuse that was hurled at the players apparently was information that these players hadn't even told their families and partners about. That was really secretive. So that sort of stuff really hurts relationships as well.
1: Yes, definitely. I think, um, yeah, definitely they needed to reevaluate what they were doing. Also, the fact that it, that the collective mind camp was very sort of like army focused. I don't know why they were making it so almost warlike. Like, I could get football is a battle, but I think that is just taken to another extreme.
0: I agree and it said in the article as well that the people who run that collective mind place aren't registered psychologists and don't actually have training in psychology or mental health or things like that which is sort of the aim of the camp Um, and I think in today's day and age um, we're slowly realizing how important mental health is for players and steering away from that perhaps older style of coaching which would have been Doing things like this and being really hard on players and doing war-like activities um, and realizing that players actually needed need to be treated with compassion and that their mental health is just as important as for everybody else.
2: Well, yeah, Amon Wolf, who was um, the founder of Collective Mind, I believe, who was running the camp. He has a degree in business. He does not even a psychologist, so I don't know why they thought that was a good idea. I just it'd be interesting to like. I don't think anyone in that Adelaide hierarchy is going to explain anything about what's happened so it's just uh, I don't know just mind-boggling what like what the process was there.
0: I think one other thing that was particularly interesting about it well, they talked about how the players were split into I think three groups and the younger players and newer players didn't have as bad a time at the camp um but also just even from um the sort of group of elite players who did do the really um challenging activities that have sort of really affected a lot of people um is that some of the players still come out and say that the camp wasn't that bad and that it didn't affect them that much so just the degree to which some players were really affected by it and some weren't is also an interesting point
1: yeah i think it it comes down to the individual i guess how they respond to different things like i guess um the level of what was brought up at camp um everyone has different stories and the different stories used against different players would affect them in different ways. So I think everyone, there's not a one size fits all and they needed to maybe think that through a little bit more and maybe like have a camp that sort of could attend to the individuals rather than just get the team and just really like try and toughen them up mentally, but it wasn't working.
2: Yeah. And you have players like someone like Rory Sloan, who's now the captain, he came out of it saying he's a, he's a better father. He's a better, a better son better husband out of this and then you have players like Bryce Gibbs who's come out of it saying that it's not nearly what is bad as what's happened at the previous Carlton camps so that's that just you know very interesting as a Carlton supporter myself I'm really intrigued as to what these camps were as well that we that we've had and you know questions like did he say this just to like you know keep his um um his spot in the team or is he saying this because it's really true so Uh, It's very, very confusing there.
0: Definitely will be interesting to see if any more comes out about this and how it affects um, clubs, pre-season training and things like that into the future. Um, But I think that wraps up our AFL chat for this episode. Um, So we'll move on to a bit of the other sports we wanted to talk about. And I think first up we'll go into tennis and discuss the US Open and whether it's actually going to happen. Turn up your radio. This is Sin.
2: Yeah, well, so I guess all the uh, the major tennis tournaments at the moment have been postponed or cancelled. The US Open uh, canceled, oh, sorry, went, went ahead and then you had Wimbledon that's been cancelled, but the US Open and Roland Garros have been postponed. Now, somewhere like New York, who's had one of the, the, the most cases of COVID-19 of any city in the world... Do they really think they are going to go ahead with a major tournament, like an international tournament as well? I just don't think it's very safe for any of these players.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that they need to, yeah, think about the dates that they're bringing the US Open, especially because they've had tennis players like Djokovic who have actually tested positive. And so, yeah, the virus isn't discriminating anyone. And America at the moment definitely isn't in the place to be hosting a major sporting competition.
0: I think they seem pretty confident, though. The way they talk about it going ahead... Um, Seems to be pretty like confident, like, no, no worries. Like, it's definitely going ahead. Um, I think they've got a schedule for September at the moment.
2: Yeah, the end of August to mid-September.
0: Which really isn't that far away, considering the state of how things are and how long already things have been. Pretty bad. Um, I guess what sort of interests me is, regardless of whether it goes ahead or not, whether the players will actually choose to play.
2: I there's there's um, a couple of Aussies, like Alexi Poporin has come out saying he really doesn't want to go to the US Open. And then you have other players, I think it's like Kokanakis as well coming out saying they sort of forced to go because that's their only form of income now for the year. So it's just, uh, it just sucks for some of these players.
1: Yeah. It's definitely hard if they have to choose between their career and their safety. I think um, I'd like to know what Nick Kyrgios decides to be honest, but um, yeah, no, it will be interesting to see which Tennis players do end up going.
0: I think with Nick Kyrgios, he's been pretty outspoken about the US Open and saying that he thinks it's dangerous and it's not the right time for it to be going ahead. So I think it'll be interesting and probably not a particularly good look if he backflips on that and does compete. But I also do understand it from the point of view that it is their livelihood and um, the, like, the ranking points and things like that, even if you miss one of these Grand Slams, is a really big deal for the rest of your tennis season, so it is a tough decision for each of these players to make.
2: Yeah, it's huge. Uh, you know, all these um, lower um, ranking players in the hundreds and stuff. You know, they they may only get one opportunity to play in these Grand Slams, and if they make it, then that that's their you know that's their wage set for the year as well. If they make it, go out in the first round. It's so much money for these players and their livelihoods. It's just so important for them.
0: Yeah, and even if some of if you do get some some of these big name players choose not to play, then that opens up opportunities for the lower players and probably makes it even more enticing for them to go.
2: Yeah, it's awesome. You you know, you always have the big three in Rafa, Roger and um, Novak. So someone new to win a tournament would be incredible. Sin, where young people run the show. So moving on to the A-League now. Um, The season was meant to restart on the 16th of July, but um, with everything happening at the moment, um, New South Wales have uh, shut their borders to Victoria so with that news, there were three Victorian clubs still stuck in Melbourne at the moment. Um, it was Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City and Western United. Um, so when that news hit, they were all told to meet at Amy Park um, where buses would meet them and take them to the airport. Uh, from there, they would fly to Canberra and then into Sydney. But unfortunately, um, there was low visibility in Canberra and all the flights got cancelled. So now all these um, Melbourne or Victorian A-League clubs are stuck in Melbourne with no way of um, of leaving the state. So the FFA have asked, uh, the Football Federation Australia have asked New South Wales for an exemption for these teams to travel. Um, but there's no word yet. And so far, there's no um, no likelihood of the A-League starting up again, which is really disappointing.
0: It's extremely unlucky. Um, and you think surely they'll get an exemption. I mean, like they would have been hours away from getting in fine. And if that was all like set to go, I can't really see a reason why they would now not let them come. It'd be pretty disappointing really for the A-League in general if they don't let them come.
2: Yeah, it's just an incredible uh, set of circumstances for these teams and really unlucky. And just a very, if anyone watches the A-League, it's the a very A-League thing to happen. Just, just, just incredibly unlucky and just really unfortunate. Um, and yeah, these police teams surely will be able to get into Sydney. Like, uh, it just will ruin the season if they're not allowed to go anywhere. And... Yeah, if the AFL teams are allowed to go into these hubs, surely these A League teams are as well. So,
0: what is the sort of options like if the if these Victorian teams don't get to go up, will the season be cancelled or will it? Could it continue without them?
2: Well, there's no news yet. The um the FFA, the Football Federation Australia, they're still waiting on the New South Wales approval, and if they don't get that, they're going to move on from there. So at the moment, the season's still set to start on the 16th. Um. But that all depends if the Victorian teams can get into New South Wales.
0: An anxious wait for them, I can imagine.
2: Yes, it Oh, um, after all this time off, uh, finally having the ability to go back and play um, would be amazing for these players. Um, and for August can uh, it's just, uh, just sucks.
0: All right. So we'll wait to hear for more news on the resumption of the A League season. Um, now we'll move on to talk about. And yet another sport that's been postponed, which is the Tour de France, which was meant to be on at the moment, um, usually takes place over July, um, and is really is one of my favorite things to watch. Um, I know a lot of people probably find cycling a bit boring, but just looking at the scenery through France and things like that, even if you don't particularly enjoy the bike riding, um, I I'm really disappointed that the Tour de France isn't on at the moment, and hopefully it does. Get to go ahead i think they're planning to push it back till september so hopefully it will be able to take place
2: well it's definitely more of a spectacle the tour de france it's um you know you're always staying up late and watching all the food shows during the program and all the different sites and stuff it's just one of those things that if, if you're not a cyclist a cycling fan it doesn't matter they watch the tour de france it's so much more than a than just the race it's the spectacle they put on for it
1: yeah Definitely. I think it's like really exciting to watch, especially when you have like all the spectators coming to the front line of the bike route and just really getting up close to the bike. I find that the most exciting part to watch when, especially when you see a few of the cyclists just give the quick elbow to the um, spectators, but that will be different this year. I reckon with coronavirus because they're saying they want spectators and riders to have minimal contact. Now, I don't know how this is going to go ahead, but they are saying that yeah, the medial at arms reach the there'll be less vehicles and yeah, the spectators might not might be shut off from some parts of the route. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, it's very interesting because I guess the crowd is a huge part of it. You know, you always see masses of crowds just lining on the side of the road, even in the most rural area. All these locals coming out and just standing there watching everyone go by. So that's it's hard to um, to track that and hard to to monitor that and stop people from doing it. So. It's just it's something very um something to watch out for, definitely.
0: It's difficult as well to sort of have an alternative crowd set up for um a cycling road race like the Tour de France. You can't suddenly, you know, set up stands um and it won't be the same experience because obviously the cyclists are riding, it's not laps of something where you sit in a set a stand and you get to watch the whole race. you you just see them fly past at one point. Um and I think it's yeah, the Tour de France is really unique in the way that the crowds just get to line the side of the road and sort of follow the cyclists along, perhaps even as they go. So it'll be a difficult one for them to decide what to do and make the spectacle the same for crowds if they can't uh, line the side of the roads like they normally do.
1: Yeah, I'm also worried about Just the fact that if they they are going to postpone it, they did say, but also with the broadcasting, if we're not having the um, post-race interviews and also if there's going to be less cars, how are they going to be able to create a broadcast and showcase it to people who can't obviously go to the lines, can't travel to France and are watching it from home?
2: Well, yeah, also just on the broadcast as well, because the tour is more about the scenery and all the shows beforehand, all the food, like the food um, stuff. Like, how are they going to film all that? You know, are the restaurants going to be open and open to doing all the filming and stuff? Or are the shows just going to be canned and it's just going to be the race?
0: I suppose there's a good chance that it will just be the race. And I guess um, from the cyclist's perspective, they probably just want to do the race um, to compete. And all that other stuff is for the fans and the people watching um, from home, particularly, so it'll be interesting to see how they end up doing. I hope it does go ahead. It's been scheduled for august 29th to September twenty. Um, so hopefully it can go ahead on those dates in whatever state it is in, um, and hopefully they don't lose any fans, which I doubt they will because I think people need to be pretty understanding with sports this year.
2: And yeah, if anything, it'll just come back bigger next year as well
0: sin
1: where young people run the show Soft memories of youthful
0: days. so moving on now to a bit of horse racing instead of bike racing um we've had horse racing has been one of the sports which has really been pretty unaffected by coronavirus which um, for me as a horse racing fan has been great um, and but probably has been surprising to. A lot of people, um, particularly given the scope of the industry, and um, you know, horse racing goes on in so many different locations and things like that, and it's actually been pretty surprising how well they've handled it. I think they haven't really had any um, issues of people catching the virus or things like that, so they've managed it pretty well. Um, But now we've got the suburb of Flemington going into lockdown, which is of course where Flemington Racecourse is. Um, I believe at this stage, the races are going to continue. Um, So I want to talk to you guys about what your thoughts on this are, Um, but I think one of the main things about why this is happening is that when you think about like horse racing or any sort of um, work or industry that involves animals, you can't really just shut it down and say, that people can't go anymore because someone has to go and take care of the animals. And I think in this case, that's probably a big factor that even if they stop the racing, people still have to go to the stables to take care of the horses. Like there are horses that live at Flemington Racecourse. So people are going to have to um, always go to the racetrack to take care of the animals.
2: You know, it's good for the sport and it's good for the fans that it's still going ahead. Um... It's just if, if, you know, if if, all, if everyone's being safe and there's no cases, everyone's taking precautions, then I think it's it's very fine for all, for everything to keep going. Um, you know, you want to keep the industry going. If it stops, then you're losing out on jobs and, and money. And again, like all these horses, um, you, need, you need people to look after them. So it's great that they're still going ahead and everyone's doing what they can to keep the industry alive.
1: Yeah, I think it's really good that they're keeping it going especially with horses that are there they're gonna to have to keep training the horses because horses like any athlete need to make sure that they're in a routine training but obviously they don't can't think like a human so definitely need people in there making sure that they're being looked after and ready to race so that they don't come back and get injuries or even worse
0: yeah absolutely um, I think keeping the horses fit is important even just um, in terms of just keeping the horses generally healthy and happy um, you can't just you don't just want to leave them in a stable and barely see them. So I think that's one of the things. And also the horse racing industry is one of um, the biggest employers in um, the state. Like there's so many jobs that are related to racing. So I think that's one reason why the government kind of has pushed quite hard to keep it going and to make ways for it to continue. Um, And so I think that's really good for all the people who are involved in it because we don't need any more people losing their jobs.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, keeping with Flemington, uh, you've got the Melbourne Cup um, coming up soon as well, but everything happening in Victoria still, um, you know, all these um, different um, suburbs in lockdown for another four weeks, um, you know, if the cases don't go down again, is the Melbourne Cup even going to go ahead? Like they're hoping to get 60,000 people for the cup, but that doesn't seem like it's going to happen at the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, could be um, interesting to watch. It's like the AFL, I think one person said that the AFL grand final shouldn't be in Victoria. If that's going to be the same with the Melbourne Cup, is Victoria going to lose its sporting nation-like rep to other states?
0: I'll be very disappointed if that happens. I think growing up in Victoria, um, I've really taken for granted all the big sporting events that we have. Um, And so to lose them would be pretty hard and pretty hard on top of an already tough year, Um, I don't think us Victorians really need that to stack on top of everything.
2: Nah, it'd be a shame. Obviously, it'd be a shame to lose the grand final, but with everything happening, you know, it'd it'd make sense. And again, you know, you you take it for granted about what, like how much we have here in Victoria and, you know, growing up here, it's just incredible the amount that we have. So to start losing that would would just suck a lot.
0: Sin, where young people
1: run the show.
2: All right, so moving on to the Formula One, we had our opening race uh, for the season finally on uh, last Sunday in Austria, and what a race! What a race it was! Finally, have everyone back. You know, we had, uh, I believe it was ten races that didn't, ten, um, yeah, races that didn't finish, and we only had a top eleven. Uh, there were people um, DNFing all over the place, mechanical issues, and it was just a really fun race to start the season. And to make it even better, we're having it again next week.
0: Yeah, it definitely looks like it was a pretty eventful race because I'm just looking at the results and we've got a whole bunch of uh, drivers that didn't finish, including Australia's Dan Ricardo, which doesn't really surprise me because he seems to have the worst luck in every single race. Um, do you want to go through some of the results and chat a bit about that, Tom?
2: Yeah, so, um, so I'll go through the results to start. So we had Bottas coming out as the winner, um, Charles Leclerc coming out second, which is a big surprise to anyone who's a Ferrari fan at the moment because they've had a horrible, horrible year at the moment and no one thought that was gonna happen. And just to top top it all off, Lando Norris with his first ever podium finishing third. And what an incredible finish to that race it was. I'll get to that in a second. Um, But yes, as you said before, um, Daniel Ricciardo unfortunately had a DNF with mechanical issues like he always seems to have, which is just just sucks for the Australian sport at the moment. and probably why he's leaving as well to another team at the end of the year. Um, but again, uh, good news. Uh, Max Verstappen came out first and uh, had a, and DNF first out of the race. So anyone who's a Ricardo fan will be happy that Max was out of the race first. Um, but so going back to the Lando Norris finishing third. So what happened? Um, the two Mercedes were out in front for the whole race, which is not a surprise. Um, but because the Austrian track is notoriously rougher than what a normal track is, um, the Mercedes cars actually struggled going around the corners and got too much damage to their car. So uh, they had to really down um, the power units and not go as fast as usual. So that meant everyone caught up caught up to them when there were safety cars and um, that sort of stuff happened. Um, and what happened in the end was... Um, Red Bull's own Alex Albon who um, last year almost got a podium but then Lewis Hamilton took him out and what happened this year he almost got the podium until Hamilton took him out again. So Hamilton got the five second penalty. Lando Norris put in a uh, put in a lap record not a lap record put in a uh, fastest lap on the last lap of the race to um, take over Hamilton and get that third spot which is just incredible for the young man, and great for the sport.
0: Definitely sounds like an exciting finish. Um, is Lando Norris going to be Ricardo's teammate?
2: Yes, they're going to be teammates next year.
0: That'll be uh, interesting. I imagine having um, so Ricardo always seems to end up against someone who's pretty talented. Um, I wonder if that's going to be something that's difficult and going to be another sort of Ricardo Verstappen. Matchup type thing. At once Ricardo does move to McLaren,
2: well, hopefully he um, sort of takes it in his stride and you know steps up to the challenge this time rather. Not not that he ran away from the Verstappen fight. Um, there was a lot a lot more going on at Red Bull there, but hopefully he does step up to the challenge and can compete for those podium spots again.
0: Did you watch much of the? Uh, the online Formula 1s that they did while they weren't actually having the races? I did
2: watch a little bit of it. And surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, I guess, um, George Russell, who is um, racing for Williams at the moment. And Williams are probably one of the worst uh, teams going around with the slowest car. Um, so surprisingly to everyone, George Russell actually was one of the best um, performers in the Formula or the virtual Formula 1s as well. So that's really uh, exciting for him. So hopefully he can carry that over to the actual races and try and, um, you know, improve himself and help the Williams cars be a little bit faster than what they usually are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's interesting, to sort of, I would have no idea, but it'd be interesting to see how whether the virtual racing and the real racing is different or if it's pretty similar and whether that indicates that he's actually one of the best drivers and just doesn't have the cars to get him the good results when they're actually, actually racing.
2: Well, it's obviously like, not obviously, but it is, is very different. Um, you know, you're not, you're not having any of the G G force when you go around the corners and there's, you don't, you don't, you don't get to feel the car and feel the traction and that sort of stuff. But um. From what I've been reading and seeing, anyway, um, no one's surprised at how talented um, someone like George Russell is. Like you do, you probably do have some specialised um, drivers who are better on the virtual than the real, the real race. But then you do have some people like Russell who are very highly touted and very highly regarded to be one of the next best drivers.
0: So as you said, we've got the next Grand Prix coming up this weekend. So hopefully we'll see Ricardo bounce back well in that one.
2: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, need a need a good start to the season for him. Finally, Ugh.
0: on FM on DAB Plus and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin. We young people run the show. So that almost brings us to the end of the show, but before we wrap up this episode of The Sports Desk, um, we're going to discuss one of the most interesting sports, perhaps, in the world, which is, of course, hot dog eating. Um, and they had the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Competition in America on July 4th, so a couple of days ago now. Um, this competition is a pretty big deal, and a, a surprisingly big deal for an eating competition.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. I'm just looking at the prize money right now. First place, 10 grand. That's a lot of money for just eating a lot of hot dogs.
2: That's insane. And I think if you come 50, you get $1,000 as well. So, you know, if you don't do that well, then you're still going to get, you know, a couple of grand. That's just such an amazing sport that I think everyone needs to get around and start um, training for. I know that's what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) So I think we had the men's winner was Joey Chestnut, um, he got a new world record down in seventy-five hot dogs, which is a pretty big effort and a lot more than second place, who only ate forty-two. So he really, really streaked the field in this year's competition.
2: Yeah, for people that don't know the legend of Joey Chestnut, um, ever since his first um, competition in two thousand and seven, he's only ever lost one um, hot dog eating contest at the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. So that's just an incredible feat for him and. I was doing a bit of research before this as well. And apparently his net worth is $1.5 million for an an eating champion. That's just insane.
1: That is crazy. I just wonder what, how they train for this sort of event. Like, like what's the go with it? What would you think? How would you train for this? I've
2: got no clue. (laughs) It's just like, how do you start? Like, where do you start? Do you just like eat hot dogs normally? I just, I can do that. I can eat hot dogs normally. I don't know how I'm going to eat 72 though. That's insane.
0: Yeah, I have no idea. I'm looking at the women's winner as well was Mickey Sudo. She had 48.5 hot dogs in 10 minutes, um, and it's her seventh title in the competition. Um, and they've got a photo of her as well. And I mean, perhaps probably the stereotypical image of a eating competition winner would be some overweight person, but she looks really fit. She could be any other athlete. So I'm not sure what her training Routine is, but um, anyway, it's obviously going well for her with seven titles, and I imagine she's also making a fair bit of money from it.
2: Yeah, dead ten grand for winning a hot dog eating contest. I just it blows my mind. I can't fathom that. That's incredible. Americans.
1: it ah. almost be more than some tennis tournaments with like the lower matches. They're getting more money than yeah, the tennis players who are going. You know, like three hours straight sets.
2: Yeah, you lose first round of like a low tier tennis tournament, and you're not getting anywhere near that.
0: Yep. I reckon hot dog eating is the way to go. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Um, I've been one of your hosts, April. We've had Kendra and Tom as well. As you said at the start, we'll be your Monday team for this season. So listen out for us on Mondays, even though we're on on Wednesday. This week, guys, how have you found the first episode?
2: It's been really fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, and I can't wait.
1: Yeah, it's been really good. I'm really excited to yeah get into the season and talk about a lot more sports. But yeah, been really fun for the first one.
0: All right. Well, until next week, that's our signing off. You've been listening to the Sports Desk on Sin.